0: This morning, we are going to continue our study in the book of Acts. We are going to be in Acts chapter 11 again, starting with verse 19. Now, if you haven't been with us lately, or you kind of forget from one week to the next, over the past three weeks, we've been talking specifically about two different people. We've been talking about uh, Simon, as well as Cornelius, and how they both had a vision And God used their vision vision separately to communicate a message. And that message ultimately was the gospel that leads to salvation. And last week specifically, we talked about how we should not limit God. So many times we think God needs to work in a way that suits us. I think we all can be guilty of doing that, where, God, you have to do this because this is what I want to do. And instead of following God's leading, what we do is say, hey, God, you want to go for a walk? I'm going this way. Come with me. Bless me. Bless what I'm doing. Instead of saying, God, you are working over there. Let's go over there. And it's hard, and it can be very challenging at times because we think that we know best, and we think God works in only the ways that we say he can. Um, Today, though, we're talking about something a little different. We're talking about the first Christians. We're talking about a major, major, major transition in salvation. The last... uh, several weeks, we've talked about Gentiles coming to know the Lord, and that's nothing new. Gentiles always have been able to um, come into the presence of, of, of Jews and be accepted by God, but they always had to adopt Judaism. And the last uh, couple of people that we've talked about, we've talked about the uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch was reading the scriptures. Do you remember that? He was reading out of the book of Isaiah when Philip was sent to him by the Holy Spirit in order to to share the gospel with him. And in the last few weeks, we've been talking about Cornelius. And Cornelius, again, he was seeking the Lord. He was worshiping God. He feared God. He gave to the Jews. He supported the Jews. Today, we're going to be talking about something that's completely different and more in touch with with how we see ministry today. But before we get into our passage this morning, let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you again today, and we just thank you, Lord, for what you are showing us in your word. Lord, these words, even though they were written a couple thousand years ago, Lord, they are just as true and as as applicable today as they were back then. Lord, I just pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears to what you have for us today, and Lord, that we might see uh, these words and how they affect our lives. Lord, please remove any distraction, any sort of stress uh, that we have in our lives, that we could be completely focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, as we start out in this passage, as we, as we start about, uh, talk about the first Christians, we're going to be talking about Antioch, the first church in Antioch. And we're going to get into that. But before we do, I want to talk about the transition from Jews to Gentiles, Jews to Gentiles. And we see the gospel really Trans, uh, transforming lies. But let's read and follow with me, if you would, verses 19 to 21 of Acts chapter 11. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So, what do we see here? Being here, it goes back in time and it's talking about the Jews moved. Do you remember we talked about that weeks ago? Why did the Jews move? Why did they leave Jerusalem? Because of persecution, right? And who specifically was persecuting them? Saul was persecuting them. And how did it start? It started with Stephen. Do you remember Stephen? He was one of the original deacons of the church. And if you remember the situation, there were Hellenist widows, which were Jewish widows, but they didn't necessarily grow up in Jewish culture. They grew up in Gentile culture, in Greek culture. And say they were a little bit different. They spoke Greek, and they had just a little bit different traditions But anyways, the problem arose is is the Hellenist widows weren't getting the food that they needed. They weren't getting their fair share. So they complained to the apostles. And the apostles said, listen, your concern is valid, but we can't do it because we are busy studying the scriptures so that we can preach, so that we can disciple the, the believers, so why don't you choose seven men, godly men, who were full of the Holy Spirit? Go to, go to them. Choose them to take care of this problem. And that's what they did. They came back with seven men. And who was the first name on that list? Stephen. Who was the second? Do you remember? Philip. Philip was also included. I'm not sure if he was second now that I'm thinking about it, but he was included in that list. And we learned how Stephen, or Philip was a missionary to the Samaritans. Well, Stephen, on the other hand, he preached in the synagogues. And we saw in in the synagogues that he preached to, one of them was probably the same synagogue that Saul would have worshiped in. And when um, Stephen and Saul debated, who won the debate? Stephen did, because he had the Holy Spirit, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Saul didn't like it, and that's what kind of led to the persecution of the church. Because of that persecution, the believers fled out of Jerusalem. And where did they flee to? They fled to Phoenicia, which is just north. It's modern-day Lebanon. They fled to Cyprus, which was an island out to the west, and also to Antioch. Now, Antioch was even further north of Phoenicia, and Antioch was a very profound, uh, prominent city at the time. It was actually the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was the capital of Syria, third largest only to Rome and Alexandria. So you had those two cities, and then you had Antioch, which housed about 500,000 people. And it was very diverse. The cultures from all different regions came there. To put it in perspective, it would be kind of like New York City but obviously on a smaller scale, where you had this community, that community, that community, all these different people coming together. And a lot of paganism, a lot of, a lot of paganism, a lot of false gods were being taught back there, and it was just horrific. So the gospel came, and when the Jews came, when they, when they went to Antioch, what did they do? They witnessed And did you catch, did you notice, who did they witness to first? The Jews. They shared the gospel, but only with the Jews. Now, we can look at that and and be like, man, I I can't believe that they would only witness to the Jews, that they would only share the gospel with the Jews. But how many of us, when we share the gospel, when when we go to a new place, we look for people who are similar to us? Have you ever been to a place you look around and you just don't fit in? It's it's funny cuz I grew up out in Nevada and my wife and I when we go back there to visit family, we go to a restaurant to eat. We look up and we just look around at the crowd and we know that we are not in Pennsylvania anymore. It's a completely different crowd and we just don't fit in. I used to blend in. I don't anymore. And so you see these Jews, they're moving, they they go to Antioch, and there's other Hellenist Jews, and that's who they witness to. And people grow. But then, what happens? There's some men. What does it say here? Verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And we know by context that this Hellenist is not talking about Jewish Hellenists, because Jews were mentioned just in the verse prior. So these would have been straight-up Gentiles, straight-up Greeks. And these guys come, and they're like, hey, why don't we share the gospel with them? Maybe they had heard about Philip and his work with the Ethiopian. Maybe they heard about um, Simon and his work with Cornelius. Why don't we go out and share the gospel with these Other Gentiles. Now, do you see how that's different? Before, these people, the Ethiopian and Cornelius, they were already serving God, they were already searching for the truth. We're here instead, these men are like, you know what? We're in a a place full of paganism, we're going to go out and share the gospel with them. Why not? Totally different from the Jewish reasoning up until that point. Now, they are going out sharing the gospel. And what happens? We read here, verse 21, let me read it again. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord, right? The Gentiles believed. And this was also different because when you were to witness to the Jews, they had the understanding of the Old Testament. When you witness to the Samaritans, they had the understanding of the, the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, right? The first five books of the Old Testament. Now, here, they're witnessing to Gentiles who did not grow up in Jewish culture, who maybe did not understand or knew anything about the Old Testament, but that did not stop them from sharing the gospel. And when you preach Jesus, when you share Jesus with others, lives change. And that is what we see here. Amazing things are happening in the city of Antioch, pagan city. God is is becoming the ruler of a lot of people. People are just turning to him. Well, then news gets back to the church in Jerusalem, and they're trying to figure it out, what's going on. And so now we read the transition, right? This chapter, this part is full of transition from Jew to Gentile. Now the transition from Barnabas to Saul. Let's read about that, uh, starting with verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them We see this transition from Barnabas to Saul, which is a pretty crazy transition, if you remember the history of Saul. But Jerusalem heard what was going on in Antioch, and so they responded. Why exactly did they respond? I don't know. But if I'm one of the apostles in Jerusalem, and I'm hearing about this explosive Gentile Growth. I may want to send somebody up there to check it out, to make sure that everything is legit, to make sure that this is genuine and not false Christianity. And so Barnabas goes. Now, why did Barnabas? Why, why him? I don't know. Maybe he volunteered because he was from that area. Hey, I'll go. And Barnabas was the perfect person to go, was he not? Barnabas, as we talked earlier, the son of encouragement, the son of encouragement. Who here needs encouragement from time to time? Does anybody here have the gift of encouragement? I think there are some people here who have the gift of encouragement, people here who who reach out. In fact, I got a, a call from somebody this past week just to encourage me. And I needed that because it's hard sometimes, you know, following, following God. Because sometimes that the internal nature, the sinful nature just wants to come out and just wants, to, wants to, to give up or just so frustrated. We don't know what to do. And somebody comes along and says, hey, I want you to know I am praying for you. Man, that is, that is encouraging. And that's the kind of guy Barnabas was not only... Was he an encourager? But he was full of the Spirit. And we've talked about that, haven't we? Being full of the Spirit means to be controlled by the Spirit, right? The Scriptures say, be full of the Spirit. Do not be full with wine, with alcohol. Because when you are full with alcohol, you do things, you say things that you may come to regret. When you're full of the Spirit and you're controlled by the Spirit, Is there any regret? No, because you're being controlled by him. Most of my regret happens when I don't listen to the Spirit and when I do what I want to do in that moment. And then later on, I regret it. Man, I wish I would have done the right thing. So how do we as Christians get to be full of the Spirit like Barnabas was? Spend time in God's Word every day. Read your Bible every day. And then meditate on it throughout the day and spend time in prayer. Spend time talking to God. Increase your relationship with him and then you will be controlled by him. Have you noticed, I've noticed it with myself, but if you hang out with a certain crowd of people, you end up picking up their habits. Does that happen to any of you? It happens to me. So logically, if we spend time with God, if we spend time in his word, we are going to become more like him each and every day. So Barnabas did that. And he goes up to he goes up to Antioch and sees what's happening. What does he do? Barnabas urged them, continue on. You are doing well. Would it have been difficult to have been a believer in Antioch at this time? Yes, with all the paganism Surrounding them, it's hard. Is it hard for us today to worship God, to follow God, to be strong in the Lord? It is so hard because everywhere we look, everywhere we turn, there's sin. There is somebody who is sinning and getting away with it. You ever struggle with that? God, how come they, it seems like they thrive even though they're living in sin. And here I am trying to do what's right. I'm struggling. And yet I don't receive those same blessings. It's hard. And here Barnabas is saying, keep going. Keep going while what? While I go away and search. And that's what Barnabas did next. He searched for who? Who did he search for? Saul. He searched for Saul because he knew Saul was the perfect man for the job. Why was Saul the perfect man for the job? Well, for one, he was a Hellenist Jew. He understood the culture. He also understood the scriptures. He studied the scriptures like no one else. And that word searched is the same word that is used when Joseph and Mary searched for Jesus. And that story, I, I have to kind of laugh whenever I, I hear that story, whenever I think of that story. Because can you imagine being in their shoes? You're entrusted with the creator of the universe. And you go, God, we lost Jesus. <laughs> when I lose something, I'm embarrassed to ask, have I lost anything as precious as the Son of God? No. that's just a funny story. But you you can see if moms out there, if you lost your son, would you be panicky? You would be searching. That's what Barnabas was doing. He was searching for Saul. Now, we don't know how long it took for him to, to find Saul, but Barnabas was a man on the mission, probably faced some difficulty, but finally he found Saul and he brought him back to Antioch, to do some serious ministry. And that's what they did. For a full year, Barnabas and Saul discipled. That's what they did. That was their job. And I think this little bit here gives us a very important structure for church. And this is how I see church. Now, church is is a confusing word because it can mean so many things. You have the universal church. Every believer is a part of the church. And then we talk about church, and that is what we do on a Sunday morning. But it could also be church, meaning the people who belong here to Moreland Baptist, or just church as in the building. A lot of different. So when we say the church, it means a lot of different things, and they can be very, very confusing. But here we have an example of the church, meaning the individuals, the body of the local church in Antioch, we're going out, we're witnessing. But then you have leaders, you have Barnabas and Saul who came to the church to teach, to disciple. Now, I've seen churches that is just full of Baby, immature Christians. And not that that's bad, but what's the danger if you have a body of believers coming together and everybody's immature? Is that a danger? Easily, they can be easily led astray into false doctrine. You know how children act when they're young. And adults, maybe we're not much better, but we should be. We as adults, we should know better. And we should be more mature. So the way I see it, Scripture, is the church Sunday mornings when we gather together to worship is meant for discipleship. Because who can do more outreach? One person or a hundred people throughout the week. And if I I believe if I do my job here and you are being discipled then there's a hundred, right? There's a hundred people out there, mature believers, who are out there messing up, right? Because we're going to. But when you mess up, you get back on your feet and you keep going. And you're witnessing to your, your family, your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors. You see more people throughout a week than we could fill in the pews on any given time. But it's such an important job up here. And sometimes I don't feel qualified to do it because I know the sin in my own life, and my own struggles. But we need to be discipled. And even me, I'm being discipled as well. I listen to other pastors. I listen to other people so that I too can grow because I need to grow, need to continue to grow if you are to continue to grow. And that's what we see here. Um, Barnabas and Saul spent an entire year focusing on discipleship. And they probably didn't just focus on discipleship one day a week. Probably every day they were out discipling. And this term here, right, it says uh, the last verse here, uh, verse 26, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Do you know how many times Christians is used? In Scripture, three times, twice in Acts, and one more time. Christian was not a term that believers used among themselves. They preferred either saints or believers, you know, followers of God. It seems like the term Christian was used by the people of Antioch to talk about the Christ followers. Because that's what Christian means. It actually means the party of Christ. If you belong to a club, if you belong to a group, you were, a, you know, be the word, it would end in I-A-N. So they were of the club of Christ. So When people saw you, you were different. They could tell by, by your actions, by your speech, by what you did and said that you were a Christian, that you were part of that group. Now, we have groups in our country right? Big groups. We think of Republicans and Democrats. When you hear the word Republican, all of a sudden you think of, right? Boom, boom, boom. When you think of Democrat, you think of boom, boom, boom. Now, is every Republican the same? No. Is every Democrat the same? No. But you get labeled and you get put in. And that's kind of what it was. You, You are a Christian. Now, let me ask you this, everybody who calls themselves Christian, are they really a Christian? Do they really emulate Christ? Or are there some people who just take the name, they take the label, but in reality, they're imposters? If somebody, and this question is not original, but if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to prosecute? Would there be? These believers, there was enough evidence for them because it was the culture that gave them the name, oh, you are a Christian. You are different than the rest of us. And today the waters are so muddied that it's hard to tell, really, who is really a Christian and who isn't. Because not every person who claims to be a Christian lives a life where people would say, wow, you are different. So many people who call themselves Christians are no different than the world. In fact, there are churches, there are people who believe that in order to save the lost, we need to become like the world. We need to look like the world so that there's no difference. And those churches may get a lot of people they may get a lot of excitement but is there really any growth happening not usually when people see you throughout the week do they see somebody who's perfect i hope not because if they see somebody who's perfect they don't want any of that because they know you're not because nobody here is But do they see somebody who is trying to emulate Christ? Do they see somebody who wants to do the right thing, who desires to do the right thing? That is what we are called to do. And so when we hear the term Christian, are you a Christian? If somebody, and I'm not asking if you believe in Christ, but are you a Christian Do you belong to the party of Christ? Do you do what Christians ought to do? When people look at you, do they see somebody who's different from the world? Or do they see somebody who's a chameleon, who blends in with the world? So Barnabas and Saul, they are teaching, discipling these Christians, these Gentiles. And then we read another transition, which again, is unique. But we read the transition from Antioch to Judea. Let's read about that. Follow with me, if you would, verses uh, 27 to 30. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. We see here this transition. Now, what happens? There is a group of traveling prophets. They come from Jerusalem, and they go to Antioch, and that was very common Back in those days, where a group of prophets who had the gift of prophecy, gifting from the Holy Spirit, and they would go sharing prophecy. Now, if you know what uh, the qualifications of a... Do you know the qualifications of a prophet? If you claim to be a prophet of God and you were wrong once, you were killed. If you were a prophet of God and you say, God told me this and it was different, than what God had already established? You were a false prophet, and you were to be killed. Being a prophet is not something that you would just use flippantly. Oh, hey, I got a vision from the Lord. He told me to do this, or he told me to do that. You better be sure it was from the Holy Spirit, because if what you predicted did not happen exactly as you predicted it, You were a false prophet, and the vision that you had did not come from God, because is God ever wrong? No. And so you see here, there's these prophets and Agabus, and we'll learn about him a little bit more several weeks from now. But here, Agabus is is saying what? There is a famine coming, right? A famine was coming. And it's going to come over, let's get his wording right, Great famine over all the world. Now, again, in context, right, the world can mean everybody. In this case, it doesn't because he's speaking to um, believers, he's speaking to believers in a Roman world, and that's what it was called at that time. And Luke gives us further clarification that it was in the, the time of Claudius. Now, if you read through history, Claudius reigned, let me get this right, from A.D. uh, 41 to 54. And guess what happened in 46? Can anybody guess what happened? If a prophet of God said a famine was going to happen, what do you think happened in 46? A famine. You guys are good. If I had a gold star, I would hand them out. A famine happened. And it was so devastating that it actually reached to, to Egypt. And you can go through historical records, and this actually happened. There was a famine. And what did these Gentile believers do? Let's read verse 29 again. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. They gave what they could. They took up a special offering, an an above and beyond offering, in order to help other believers. Does that sound familiar to something that we do as a church? On the first Sunday of the month, we have a special fund. What's it called? The The Benevolent Fund. We take up a special collection, above and beyond our offerings, and we use it. We use it to help people. In need. We use it to help people in need. And that's a perfect example. Now, this is different than what it was when the church first began in Jerusalem, where everybody had things in common, right? They needed to do that because the church was just beginning. Well, the church is growing now. And we see here just the love that the, the Antioch church showed to their, you know, to their mother church. They were so grateful for Jerusalem sending Barnabas to make sure that they were discipled, to make sure that they had the truth that when that church needed help, they didn't have an issue. And everyone gave a different amount. And they entrusted it to Barnabas and Saul. Was Barnabas a trustworthy person? Absolutely. Do you remember chapters ago when we first learned about Barnabas, do you remember what he did? He sold his possessions and he gave it all to the church. Remember that? He sold some land and gave it all to the church. And then there was a couple who thought, wow, Barnabas is getting some pretty good recognition. Let's do the same thing. Let's sell some land. But instead of giving it all to the church, let's just, let's say we're going to give it all, but let's keep a back, a, a portion to ourselves. Let's keep that back. Let's hold it back. And what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Died Died instantly by the hand of God. Barnabas was full of the Spirit. Isn't that a challenge for each one of us? Can God use us the way he used Barnabas and Saul? He can but we have to be willing. When we read this, this uh, with Saul coming to Antioch, it's about 10 years after he started persecuting the church and his conversion. Think about that. Some of the people in Antioch at that time were there because Saul pushed them there. The guy who was out to kill them, to, to arrest them, was now the guy Discipling them. If God can use somebody with the history and the reputation that Saul had, can God use you? Think of the worst thing that you've done. Was it worse than what Saul did? How many of you have, have arrested, ratted out fellow believers so that they could be taken away from their children? How many of you have actually witnessed and and brought about the killing of a believer? Would that be bad? That would be bad. No matter what you've done, there's grace and there's forgiveness. Not that we continue in sin. Was Saul still currently arresting Christians and having them put to death? No, he changed, he repented. And now he's living his life for the Lord, making disciples. Talk about a 180. And it happened because he gave his life to the Lord. Because Saul also was full of the Spirit. And if God can can work in somebody like Saul, he can work in somebody like you believe it or not as big of a sinner as you are god can still use you is that something to praise god for yes. absolutely absolutely and we're going to further read as we continue through the book of acts do christians do believers have an easy time no do the leaders in the church have an easy time no living a christian life is difficult. God does not promise smooth sailing if you follow him. In fact, most often when you follow him, life gets rough and tough and not enjoyable. But we do it because we're not here to please ourselves. We're here to glorify and honor God. Let's pray.